EDM champions. Thank you guys so much for joining us for episode number 100. And a landmark episode calls for a very special guest. This week, we are joined by Blake Koppelson, the founder and CEO of Proximity. But before we get into that super enlightening conversation, I know my boy Alec has a few words for the EDM champion. So without further ado, let's start the episode. EDM champions, we're here, baby. 100 episodes. It feels so amazing and just incredible to say that, that Beyond the Beats has made it to 100 episodes. And I will say, because a lot of people have been asking me this, both my personal life as well as some people from the EDM champion community, um, they've been asking me how we've done it and what what are some of the things that we've learned in answer to to the latter first rather than go the route of you gotta work seven days a week no sleep baby you know this hustle porn style of motivation right because while some of it might be true to an extent at the very least and maybe not to the levels that they are advocating it for what I found through doing these 100 episodes and working hand in hand with my best friend, Samir, is that while quality and quantity of work is very important, the most important thing is actually nothing to do with the deliverable. Now, that sounds kind of crazy, right? But hear me out. It has nothing to, to do with the deliverable. Because what will propel you forward in whatever you do is actually the amount of enjoyment that you get from doing the work, that the journey is what should be the focus and what you should take away from it. And that everything that you do in order to accomplish whatever goal it is, what should almost trump the completion of that goal is how much enjoyment and joy and fulfillment that you felt while trying to accomplish that goal. It's a little bit of a a backwards way and a reframing of it, but I think it's something that's very, very important, especially in, in today's time when we kind of feel the pressure from social media or from movies or entertainment or family even and friends that you have to perform in a way that's comparable to others or some type of external metric. And what I found through doing Beyond the Beats actually is is that that's not necessarily always helpful. That what you need to do is to focus on how much enjoyment and how much fulfillment that you're getting from it. Because that's what's going to give you the energy to accomplish those metrics. But then even beyond the metrics, having the metrics there and saying, okay, that's great. That's a nice indicator of how I'm doing in terms of the amount that I'm progressing. But really, your true sense of fulfillment should be derived from not just the enjoyment that you get from completing work and that journey, but also towards accomplishing a higher goal, something that's not tangible or measured by a metric, such as for us, it would be growing the podcast by X amount of percent month over month. 
but rather tying it to something that is bigger than yourself. So for me, and I think for Samir too, that would be connecting people with the essence of dance music because there is nothing, nothing more magical than that. Seeing the compassion, empathy, and the breakdown of all superficial barriers that this person may hold about themselves or others around them and just seeing somebody in their purest form in the most present way. And that's when someone is connected with dance music. And doing that gives me so much joy that it allows me to work tirelessly on building Beyond the Beats because I believe that we could do even more than what we're doing right now. And so over the course of the next 100 episodes, I hope to come back to you and say, hey, look at how far we've come since I talked to you in a somewhat rambled fashion about my thoughts of the first 100 episodes of this podcast. So I won't ramble too much because we've got an incredible conversation with Blake from Proximity coming up for our 100th episode. But I just wanted to say, you guys have no idea how much the support means to me to feel that I am accomplishing this higher vision in a way is just so empowering to me that I'm forever grateful and thankful. So thank you, EDM champions. I really, really hope that you enjoy the rest of the season and all of the wonderful things that we have planned. Guys, the hundredth episode of the Beyond the Beats podcast calls for a very, very special guest. And we are so honored to be joined by a true pioneer in making dance music the big thing that it is today. I see him right now. He's on the video chat with us. We're talking about Blake Coppelson, founder and CEO of Proximity. Yes, Proximity. You guys know what I'm talking about. The YouTube channel, the live streams, the live events, all of it. The man, the mastermind is right here in the stew with Alec and I. We are so pumped up to be joined by Blake. Blake, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us. How are you doing today on this beautiful Tuesday? What's going on, man? I mean, with that intro, better than ever. That was the most flattering, <laughs> flattering intro I've ever had. So I really appreciate that. You know, man, like everything that we just said about you in the intro is just 150% true. Like you really have taken the dance music scene to new heights that people never really thought were possible before, especially in the U.S. You know, you, you've really promoted a, a place of music sharing, uh, making sure that music is accessible to folks all over the world. So let me first start by asking you, man, like where did your passion for dance music come from and what made you want to start Proximity? My passion started when I was at sleepaway camp hmm. when I was 15 years old. This, uh, this girl that I had a crush on, actually, she showed me Bass Hunter. I don't know if you guys oh, remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Dude, yeah. Dota was one of the, his best <laughs> songs. I love that song. One of the best songs of all time, yeah. And yeah. Um, she showed me Bass Hunter, and that was the first time I ever heard electronic music, and I fell in love with electronic music then. And then from then, when I went back to school, a few other friends showed me like, Proxy, Bloody Beatroots. Oh, um, Yogi, uh, Fake Blood, um, and all these amazing artists that were around the Dimac era. Mm. Uh, so a very particular sound, and and I just love that. So from there, there were a few blogs that I would follow, and specific Chemical Jump and um, Your Only Friends. If you guys mm. remember those blogs, those were like my 
go-tos, I would submit my own mashups. Oh, well, we've got, we've got to take a listen to some of those mashups at some point, Blake. What's going on here? Absolutely not. That's <laughs> thing. I'm taking that to the grave with me. No, but I was always that kid. I was burning CDs. Like at mm. school, like I'd have my CD player, um, burn CDs and show all like my friends at school, all, all the music that I found on these blogs. And um, it just, it just progressed to the point where YouTube was an easy way for easier way for me to do that than burning a CD. So yeah. I would just go to my friend's house. I'd go on YouTube instead of burning CDs. And what I was doing was I was indirectly the first person uploading these songs because I, I would look for the song on YouTube and I wouldn't find it. So I'd upload it. Right. Six, nine months afterwards, it started growing as I started uploading more. And then we got approached by record labels and managers and artists. And they're like, Hey, like you have 2000 subscribers, you know, do you want to post my music? And it was so crazy, you know, at the time, like hearing the music, like before from these artists that I love, but also yeah. like creating a blog. And it was super fun because I would follow blogs and I loved music and I was going to be a dentist. So there's <laughs> completely different path. Than, than what I'm in now, but very grateful for the journey. Dude, let, let's for, can we just dig into that for a little bit, the dentist piece of this? Because now I'm, I'm super intrigued. So you were going to go down this path of dentistry, right? Blake yes. Coppelson all up in your teeth, and now he's all up <laughs> in your dome with these tunes. So what, at what, what point did you realize that like you want to go down the path of proximity and not be you know put, uh, measuring people for braces? Like what, <laughs> when did this happen? Right. Uh, I was probably two and a half years I went to USC. I went like, I got like two and a half years into pre-med, mm. you know, I hated teeth. I hated blood, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I was just doing it to make my parents happy. Yeah. I come from immigrant parents. So mm. they obviously like anybody who probably has an Im immigrant parents that come to the U S they want what's best for them. And what they believe that is, is of course a financially secure job, which is a doctor or engineer. So, mm. um, my brother is a doctor. So me, you know, eight years younger than him was like, all right, well, he's successful. Like I could, if he did it, I could do it. Right. So I was like, all right, I can do that. I'll, I'll make money. I'll be happy. But definitely was not the case. So I dropped out of pre-med and to make my parents happy, I said, I'd go to law school hmm. um, instead, which also did not happen. <laughs> Although I did take my LSAT and I, I did pretty well. Nice. Um, but never went to law school. And, <laughs> and it just kind of, it kind of went to the point where like the scale was outweighing itself. And you know, with proximity, I was starting to make a little bit of money, um, you know, as we started a record label and, you know, started doing some other things as well. So it was justified, you know, as my parents saw how happy I was and, and uh, I loved how, how much I was doing, you know, working yeah. like 12, 14 hours a day as I still do now. And I love every minute of it. So I got very lucky. Very, very lucky. Well, dude, I mean, your, your platform has given uh, opportunities to artists like Elenium to really premiere some of their songs. It's been some of your biggest, biggest uh, videos on your channel. So just yeah. working with artists like that must have been such an intrinsically uh, rewarding feeling, man. It's, uh, it's, it's awesome to see. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing because you're, you're invested in their artist projects and you yeah. see them grow like a baby, right? Like Absolutely. with Elenium, we signed, we signed a, a couple of records from Ashes and we, we first album and we worked with him from before that too from when he was doing remixes and yep you know from the inception of his artist project seeing him grow and going to his shows for 500 people and then seeing him sell out madison square garden <laughs> is a very amazing Crazy. feeling because one it's amazing to see that in general but it's also amazing like on our end to be like hey like we we played a very small part in that right mm -hmm. but we still played a part so it's 
it's cool to see your baby grow. And we're trying to do the same thing with every artist that we work with. That's the goal is I want all, I want a hundred percent of every artist that we ever release on proximity to, to sell out Madison Square Garden, right? I'll be happy. I love that goal. And, and I would actually, in a way, somewhat disagree with you. I think that proximity plays such an important, integral role in the trajectory of these artists' careers, primarily because you've been able to do this time and time again. But as is the case with Millennium, you come in at such an early point in their career. You know, it, it's almost, and, and we've seen it just from the people that we've talked to, it's just getting that boost, that kind of like you've got people you know, official people in your corner. There's just such wonders for their self-confidence, for their esteem and for the artistry that I, I would argue that you play, you know, such a, a more massive role. And I think that you're too humble to give yourself credit for, you know, like I, I think it's incredibly humbling to hear you say that. So my, my question to you is like, when, when did you realize that this is something that you wanted to pursue and go 100% all in on and spend those, you know, 14 hour days just dedicated to making this happen in artists' lives? Well, it, it really was that tipping point where I was like, I, I can't be a dentist. I knew mm. it wouldn't work out. There was no point in continuing to pursue something that I knew would just be a complete waste of time. So I switched my majors and started studying music industry. And, and again, it was it was that tipping point where I realized that I was already making an okay enough money, like where I honestly was making maybe like 40 grand a year in oh, wow. college. Yeah, damn. Excellent. Uh, which was good because all of that went to my rent and my tuition. And, you know, by my by my junior year, I was able to pay off my tuition. That for me was enough. You know, if I even like if I knew I was making 40 grand, I was so happy at that time. And I still would be happy now making yeah. that much money because again, like I'm telling you, like I wake up every morning. And my job is listening to amazing music, speaking with amazing artists and their managers, working with record labels. And, and, you know, I get to work for myself, which is honestly the best thing in the world. Yeah. You know, I had two internships at USC and I quit the first one after two weeks and, <laughs> and the second one after four days. Actually, <laughs> I couldn't do it. My mind couldn't process doing tedious things. And I wanted to pick what I wanted to do. And I guess it kind of worked out for itself. I got very lucky. Well, well, let's hop into that real quick, because um, something I like to ask people who've been extremely successful as yourself is what, what's your routine or, or rather your habits? Like you mentioned that, you know, for first thing in the morning, you're listening to great music and talking to great artists. Like, do you have a, a routine? Like kind of what's your work ethic as it comes to approaching a day of uh, lots of work? Yes. So I'll wake up at around like 7.30, which is, I know that's not that early for a lot of people, but I end up going to bed at midnight. Uh, oh, yeah, it's perfect. But obviously, I'm not working 16 hours like all day every day. I do, I do segment it out. Right. So I'll schedule calls every single day at 8 a.m. So I force myself to wake up at 7:30. You know, have coffee, you know, brush my teeth, do all that stuff, and then I know I'm up at eight working. And work is literally a couple steps away from my bed, which right. is also great because I literally just go to my desk and it's working. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll just schedule calls and then just work from work until lunch, eat lunch, work, eat dinner, work. Um, my girlfriend's here visiting me at the moment. So hmm. watch some TV, eat dinner together, relax, and then we'll both work until midnight and then go to bed and do the same thing again every single day. Wow. What, what's, uh, uh what's your go-to methodology of relaxing? Like, what, what do you hmm. do? Like, I need to take a break. What do you do? I play Rocket League. All right. Hey, there you go, man. <laughs> which uh, which my girlfriend hates, but I I, <laughs> but 
I play Rocket League. I I read. I try and read as much as I can. I got um I got a little cycle in my room. I mm. work oh working out is definitely definitely my favorite one of my favorite things. Like going for a run. In, in LA, we're very lucky with the weather. So just mm-hmm. going in, you know, soaking up some sun, moving my legs a little bit because I'm sitting on my ass all day. Let's you know, go. It's good to actually move around and just enjoy enjoying the outdoors. It's really interesting that you bring that up because I've been reading a lot about this uh, this type of topic. But is there anything that you do to keep yourself motivated and feeling creative in times where you may not necessarily feel that creative or that motivated? I don't force it, at least on my end. If I really have like a block or if I'm exhausted from doing a certain task all day, uh, if I'm tired of being in meetings all day, I'll, I'll cancel my meetings instead of half-assing mm-hmm. them. Or I'll stop listening to demo submissions if I'm getting irritated by what I'm listening to, right? Because <laughs> then there's no point because I could, I, could right. I could be in a terrible mood and I can hear a 10 out of 10 track and just skip it too early and miss that point, right? So yeah. I try and focus on whatever task it is. And then if I can't, and that's totally fine, I don't force it. I just relax. I'll go to bed early or I'll cut the day off, right? Or whatever it is, I'll just try and shift shift my focus to where I can be more efficient instead of trying to hammer something in when, when it's already not working. Dude, that is, that's like super valuable advice, especially coming from somebody like you who has just been so damn busy, you know, no matter, no matter if it's non-pandemic times or we're <laughs> in pandemic times, you're in it. So let's talk about what you've been into. The work that you've done with Digital Mirage, the virtual mm-hmm. music festival that you and Brownies and Lemonade had teamed up to put on together. The world has never seen anything like it. And then not only did you do it once, but you did it twice. And not only did you do it for free, but you also raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for charity. So Amazing. it's it really is incredible, man. And you know, as we start to emerge out of the COVID-19 pandemic that we're currently in, we got to ask you, what do you think the role of live streams will be in the in a post-pandemic era? Like, are we going to continue to see them? Are we going to see the format change? Will they become kind of a supplement to the live events? What are your thoughts on uh, live streams? Yes. Um, definitely want to give credit to Brownies and Lemonade. It was a very symbiotic relationship. We mm-hmm. both carried a ton of weight when it came to that festival. So I, I, I know you mentioned them, but I really want to stress that this was such a cooperative um, co- sorry, very collaborative between us as well as Keel, who who definitely has been in the background of it. They're 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 like a, another partner who really helped um, from the logistics because it's so hard to advance fifty different artists and teams, right? Right, because that's like another thing. So they they helped so much there, and they helped uh, get artists as well on board. They Keel does Keel manages Louis the Child, uh, Doctor Fresh. Whoa! All right, wow. Sunburn. Mm. A few other amazing artists that I can't I can't name off the top of my head, but they got they're, the, the, they're amazing. <laughs> they're amazing. They they got Dr. Fresh back to back Chami for the it's other. Ridic- it's ridiculous. Game. Ridiculous. It was crazy. But live streams are super interesting. Digital Mirage, I know I've been super humble, but I need to gloat about this. Was was the first three-day virtual festival ever that hey. was specifically designed to be online. There you go. Coachella definitely did it, but it was you know, it was a live broadcast of the of the show, but this was the first ever virtual three day festival, so we're very excited about that accolade. It's been super fun and super rewarding, and you know, we get so many questions about Digital Mirage, and a lot of what made it so successful is the quick turnaround time. Hmm. You know, the the yeah. lockdowns hit, everybody was home, and we turned around Digital Mirage in two and a half weeks from the idea to throwing it, which Jeez. was incredibly fast. 
Jeez. And I think the reason why we succeeded is because we were not a corporation. Mm. You know, if you have somebody like Insomniac, Live Nation, uh, AEG, Golden Voice, like any of these big event events brands, they, I'm sure they had the ideas. I'm sure they had so many employees that were like, hey, let's do this. Like we can do it, right? But there's so many tiers of conversations that you have to have within the hierarchy of the company that it's, it takes forever to get approvals. It takes right. forever to get budgets, all this stuff. So brownies and lemonade and I are in proximity, you know, we just were like, Hey, let's, let's do it. We can do it. You know, we, we, we work with all these artists and, and it worked. So we were very, very grateful to be able to do that. And, you know, the funniest thing was a lot of people got mad at us for doing it for free. Huh, really? But at the end of the day, I obviously don't regret it at all because I feel like EDM as a genre really was the genre and the teams behind it to be able to do the most for COVID, right? Mm -hmm. It's so many live streams because it's, it's very easy. It's CD days, right? So it's very easy to go up and, and stream continuously, stream weekly, daily, whatever. So for Digital Mirage, you know, we did, we did the first one in April. We did the second one in June and we did like a Friendsgiving version in November. Mm -hmm. uh, in between the three of them, we raised $400,000 for different charities, which is so like Massive. exciting and it feels so good because we helped so many people and we got so many emails and we helped the artists directly who also performed and um it was amazing and going back to your to your question about the future of live streams it's definitely a very interesting question we've seen it decline tremendously to be honest but mm -hmm. it's declining because people have so many other things to do now but mm. we saw that it's going to still be very, very successful for, for a few different reasons. And one is because of the accessibility aspect of it. It's the fact that a lot of these artists aren't going to be um, playing in certain cities or, you know, it's going to be hard for these, like not only is it going to be hard for them to play in certain cities, it's going to be hard for them to play in certain countries. So you'll have an international audience being able to tune into these virtual festivals and also the financial aspect of it, they're going to be tuning in for free for the most part. So one, you don't need to get a flight. You don't need to get an Uber, right, to go to the show. You don't need to buy alcohol. You don't need to buy the ticket. So you can see your favorite artists at the comfort of your own home. The other cool factor of that is that you can engage with the artist directly. So there's, mm. so an artist can premiere their music for 20,000 people, 50,000 people pretty easily. It's a pretty low cost for them to be able to do these streams because again it's cdjs and you just have to pre-record it which is what all these virtual festivals have been for the most part our pre-recorded sets just stitched together to look like a live festival right mm -hmm. so you can say hey you know follow me on twitter or, hey follow me on facebook because when we did the first and second digital mirages every artist that played started trending on twitter yep. and you won't have That's that nice. at, you won't have that at coachella or adc for the most part mm -hmm. because you're not at your phone you're in the moment and for the virtual festivals, you're in the moment, but you're also on your computer, right? So it's like, hey, I can click very quickly, go on Twitter, follow that artist that I just discovered. So I think there's still going to be a market for it. There'll still be an appetite for it, but it'll be very um, niche. And I think it will also play a bigger role into the metaverse, where there's going to be cooler capabilities of having your digital avatar inside of that festival, mm. and then having your VR goggles on, and then as the metaverse and VR gets more immersive with like sub packs, right. Where you can feel the vibrations on your chest. Right. And you know, you don't get fatigued by having VR goggles on for two hours and you can have your goggles on for 12 hours and not be nauseous. Right. I think 
all these improvements, I think will lean more in favor towards virtual festivals more than physical festivals where, I mean, at some point, I don't, I don't think that'll happen in the next 10, 15 years, but the metaverse component of it, I've seen it. It's very exciting. I've seen these virtual festivals. You can be on stage and then you can shift to a bird's eye view. You can shift here. It's crazy. The future of fest, like, like immersive VR capabilities within, within live events. So I think the virtual events will play a very strong role in that. Uh, that's so funny. It's like you, you uh, uh, do you know a guy called Matthew Ball? Have you ever heard of him? I can't say quite- so I'll, I'll send you a link to them, but I feel like this is a guy you need to talk to. He's an investor. He basically coined, not coined the term metaverse because that's from like an 80s sci-fi novel, but he's really big in the investment front uh, for metaverse and stuff. So he has a great Twitter following. He does a bunch of essays, but he runs his own VC group. So we'll have to, you'll have to definitely get in touch with him because I mean, this yeah. is kind of the stuff that he's focused on, like how Epic is trying to create the metaverse and how yes. that's bringing in different forms of entertainment. So I definitely see like a proximity Epic type Type of thing going on there you know using unreal to get those avatars going we're doing it oh you are oh shit we're creating a proximity club in the metaverse already oh. with this company called stageverse who did a virtual fashion show for balmain mm. oh. as well as as well as did a virtual concert for the muse the band yeah that's which was wow. incredible like i was you could be on stage and then i you, love muse and i didn't hear about this when yeah. was this it's still in beta so i don't know if it's even public but I would show it to you, but the app, I, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's very, very cool. But we're creating like a club. Like, so proximity will be like, um, like the Encore or the Omnia or Hakkasan of the city of Stageverse. Wow. Right. So if you want to go and see a performance, you'll go to proximity. It's very wow. fun. Incredible. Like, the, the cool thing about the metaverse is that you could, anything you could think of and imagine you could have, right. Yeah. I want a 200 foot, proximity lightning bolt statue with an infinity mirror with leds and clouds that move like i don't know right anything you think of that's why it's so exciting they're like think of anything we could do that whole space is so interesting right now like i I never realized until i started exploring into it just how you know the relationships are all kind of like intertwined right so unity has a very different way of going about it than epic does so fascinating stuff okay so that, that's good to know i hope you're allowed to disclose this publicly but one one question because trust me don't get me started i can go on and on about the metaverse maybe you and i should have a separate podcast episode absolutely about, about the metaverse i'll produce that for you guys no worries <laughs> <laughs> but going back to kind of like uh, Samir's question, one question I did want to ask you because I've been touting this opinion for a while publicly on the on the podcast now. But one of the things that I believe is going to happen is that, as you were saying, live streams will still you know be more niche, but they're still going to exist in you know conjunction with IRL events. But mm-hmm. one thing I think that's really going to be leveraged a lot is the use of uh, virtual festivals to almost act as like a teaser or promo for a real life festival. And just as a way for artists to stay connected to people before the club show or before the festival set, kind of just throughout the week. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you see kind of like festivals playing kind of that like, okay, let's give you a taste of what the in real life event's going to be? Or do you think they're going to kind of be separate uh, from them entirely? It's an interesting concept. I haven't heard that yet, but I could see it happening with some of the bigger festivals who have a lot of archived footage. Mm. You know, some of these virtual festivals were, were archived footage. So you had like Daft Punk's performance from Coachella in 2007. Coachella did it. You had Lollapalooza that had archive sets. They did a virtual festival. They did archived as well as live, but I could definitely see that happening 
as like a way to exactly like tease that event. So like if EDC is having their event, they could do that Monday through Friday. They could do virtual performances for three hours a night and like sell tickets to that and use it as a marketing platform because they already have the footage. Well, you stay at home, right? And you can like, you know, sets going on at base pod, right? You couldn't make it to the actual festival, but there's some type of virtual experience that could go alongside that. And then people pay yeah, like that's a fraction true. of the price, right? To kind of experience it. Well, EDC is doing that in general. There's, they're, they're creating their festivals in mind with VR capabilities so that they can sell VR tickets. Like Ooh. 10 hours. Yes, they have their, their 360 cameras and different locations. And then you just pay five, ten, fifteen dollars for a ticket, and then you're at EDC. Alec, I just can I, can I just quickly stop it and just say, dude, I call this shit. I call this <laughs> shit. Okay, I just want to say that. Okay, I'm sorry. I'd like to gloat sometimes too. Let's go ahead and let's keep on the track of live streams, right? Let's talk about a pain in everybody's ass when it comes to streaming on Twitch, and we're talking about dmca takedowns right this yes. is something that djs and artists all over the world have ran into especially as they want to showcase their talents on twitch during the lockdown and you know it's it's a, it's a very interesting battle right now that we're witnessing between um labels and between the performers that are taking to twitch to showcase their talents right proximity mm -hmm. has taken a stance in in opening up their catalog so that way streamers who play the music on the on the proximity catalog will not face dmca takedowns because of those proximity tracks and this is a massive massive move on your part so i'm really really keen to know what prompted this move from the proximity side why did you guys decide to open up your catalog this way and can we expect to see other people follow suit i used to get dmca takedowns as a curator on proximity so I know that feeling of getting an email saying, we strike your content, you have two strikes left, and then we'll terminate your channel. It's the worst feeling in the world. Right. I almost got proximity terminated maybe eight, 10 times, actually. It was, and it's the worst feeling of all time. So I'm, I've, been in the, I've been in a creator's shoes where I know, I know, there's, I, I know nothing is malicious. They're using music. It's not malicious. It's, you know, they like that song. They're supporting the artists. More so than not, they're crediting the artists as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a very symbiotic relationship. One of the perfect examples from like the reason why we do it is, is not only to, to allow creators to thrive and, and have accessible uh, and have like access to great, you know, DMCA free music, because a lot of the royalty free music sucks. So we're like, <laughs> we're, like eh. so we're trying to be that one player. Where we're like, hey, we actually have good Copyright free, stuff. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> free music from your favorite artists like Elenium, Nervo, Kill the yeah. Noise. Right? I think it's an amazing marketing tactic because it's exposure and visibility to all the creators who live stream as well as create amazing content. So people, their viewers are like, oh, that's an amazing song. Oh, it's credited in the description. Oh, I can listen to it on Spotify. Mm. That's way better than sending out strikes, right? Like proving a point. There's no point in doing that for us. Again, going back to what I was half saying was Mac Miller released his his album, his first ever album for free, like, and you could download it. And right. it, it went viral. It's like Mac Miller and Logic, they were all, always releasing free music and it really helped them a lot. And that's what I want to do. I, I don't want to penalize, especially this year, every year, you know, during COVID, every, so many people became creators. It's more important now than ever for us to be another tool of accessibility for people to use an amazing library of music. Hmm. And I know everyone's following, not everyone, a lot of people are following suit. I've even seen majors kind of be a little bit more lenient to a degree, whereas maybe five years ago, they, they'd say absolutely not. Absolutely. But let me, let me ask you something, Blake, like 
have you ever met have you ever been met with opposition from like artists or managers when you tell them like hey we'd be happy to release your song of proximity but we're not going to strike anybody for DMCA takedowns if they choose to use it in their in their live streams or their videos like you don't have to name never. names but like have you never, never. never had an issue not once in fact we've had we've had probably more than a handful of artists say I'll only release with you if you promise to never DMC take down my music. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at that. I love that, dude. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I really do love that because it's never, it's never on the artist. The yeah. artist, the artists want everybody to use their music. It's the labels who are like, this is our copyright. We own this music. We don't want anybody to use it. They have to buy it. Like it's very old, old way of thinking. Whereas we feel on the proximity side that our model is a little bit more progressive to current times. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just a different business practice. We, we see it, we see it better on our end for us. Well, speaking of progression, I know you guys have a massive, massive compilation about to drop, right? We were talking about this a little bit offline, but Blake, let's go ahead and let's spill the beans on this. If you don't mind, dude, this gaming comp compilation that you guys have coming out starting on May 24th. Can you give us yes. a little bit more details about this 21 tracks? Tell us a little bit about it. So this is our first ever compilation. Hey, we're we're doing a unique rollout. We're releasing we're releasing them all as singles. And the way that we're the reason why we're doing that is because we want each artist to, you know, have that feeling that this is their song. It's not just being bundled up into a big big album that's just going to be thrown out in one day. And you know, so every song is being released as a single, like a standalone single. And then at the end of the twenty one days, it'll all be in the compilation. Love so that. Um, that way, each track breathes. You know. For 21 days, we're promoting the compilation. Um, and we feel like 21 is the right number because we've seen mm -hmm. like 130 tracks in the compilation. And then that one was released in one day. No, <laughs> no hate, but not how I want to roll it out. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but the compilation, it's called a gaming compilation because, because a lot of the streamers and content creators that we, we kind of work with that are also in line with our demographic are, are gamers. So we wanted the name to be somewhat synonymous. It's, it's called version 1.0. So we, we intend to do version 2.0, version 3.0, if it's Love that. what it makes sense. And it's actually really cool. I'll send you guys the art off thread, but it's it's uh, it's like a Mario block, you know? Oh, that's yeah. dope, man. With the proximity logo. Uh, it's actually that's on awesome. our Instagram. But um, very cool artwork. Uh, and the most important thing is that they're all incredible songs from different musicians hmm. and the reason why we we made it as a compilation other than the fact that we wanted to do this unique rollout uh and do you know a dmca free compilation is the is 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 the reason is is that this compilation is giving me an excuse to sign music that i couldn't otherwise sign to proximity before i would say there's 21 tracks there's probably 16 17 different genres so they all Let's sound completely go. different Love and that. that's what I love. It, it gave me the perfect excuse to sign amazing songs from artists that I, I couldn't upload directly to Proximity, but I will now in this amazing compilation mix um, and just highlight each of these songs. And and the thing that we're also talking about offline, the coolest thing too, I probably said that, probably, I probably said three <laughs> different things about this compilation is the coolest <laughs> thing, but I think the most rewarding thing about this compilation is that so many of these artists have less than 1,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. Oh, I love Let's that. Let's go. I love that. And that's so cool because, you know, so, some of these artists, it's their first big upload on a big YouTube channel and they're getting a lot of exposure on this. And, 
their tracks are just as good as, if not better than A-list artists or any any other artists that we'd upload on Proximity. But now it's like, listen to this amazing trance song on Proximity. People are like, what, trance on Proximity? I'm like, yes, listen to this. It's phenomenal, I promise you. What, what I love so much about that, and just by someone, you know, with the, the Titan status that Proximity has in the dance music scene, it's just, it's just seeing how you're breaking down the barriers to all these different genres, right? Like you see a lot of people be like, oh, only like X, Y, and Z genre, or they think it's so separate. When artists themselves know that the lines between these certain genres can be blurred very easily and are in fact, in reality, blurred. Like if it sounds good, it's good. Doesn't matter what label you put on it. But, but what you're doing by really, and I think this is kind of a trend in the scene in general. It's something that we advocate for, but we see just from the artists and even from the labels now but with somebody like you stepping into the space saying hey we've got you know countless different types of genres in this compilation that we're putting out you know we're no longer just you know mainstream this you're propelling the whole scene forward and this blake my man is exactly what's going to keep the scene interesting evolving and working for people of all different backgrounds um and places because there's just so many unique different sounds that you can get out there so the work that you're doing man i just want to say like no, i'm flattering you a bit here but i, I mean know. it man it is truly incredible and this is some of the stuff that just needs to happen for the scene moving forward so just thank you so much for doing this well i i appreciate that and i, I think you should rename your podcast to beyond flattering because this is- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so very i'm getting i'm getting red but um but no, I really appreciate that. And and just to go off of that a little bit, um, with proximity, you know, the 10, 11 years that I've been doing it, uh, I've never I've never put genre tags in the title mm, yeah. because I didn't ever want to deter anyone from not listening to the upload because they don't like a certain type of genre. And it goes to the same reason why I never started like proximity dubstep, proximity, like different YouTube channels under proximity, because I always wanted one channel like one hub for all the uploads like i wanted to be able to upload anything the mm. one channel to rule them all that's one what channel I'm to rule them all yeah well it's it's amazing when you break down those barriers and you kind of just give play music for people or expose them to different sounds without any type yeah. of label that may lead someone to be prejudiced or have some type of held view before listening to it it's amazing to see how quickly people turn around and be like you know oh i thought i was just into big room but i like techno too you know what I mean? But like, if you say, let me play some techno for you, they'll be like, fuck no, get the fuck out of here. I've never listened to that in my life and I never will. That's the point. I want I want people to come in with an open mind when they go on proximity and be like, I like, it's just my taste in music. My taste mm-hmm. in music can be anything. So I, I, I know firsthand I've, I've converted so many people into loving all these other genres by introducing them to them on proximity by, by them falling you know, Proximity's YouTube channel for so many years yeah. and the taste evolving, the genres evolving, the creation evolving. So, um, so yeah, that's what I intend, intend to keep. And that's something that I'm uh, reinforcing in the compilation itself. Uh, I love, I love that, man. So, so yeah. how, how do artists get onto Proximity? And mm-hmm. then beyond that as well, do you have any like tips to producers for just reaching out to record labels and getting their music, you know, in front of the big wigs that, head up these labels and can distribute it like because we have a lot of of producers listening yes so for proximity we have a a demo submission page it's demo.prxmusic.com and we actually use it so it's not just like a throwaway site 
you know, where we just tell you to go to. So you stop bothering us. It's, it's actually, <laughs> it's actually our hub and every single track on the compilation was signed through that portal. All Incredible. 21 songs are signed from artists who submitted to that portal. Me just going through listening to 150 songs a day. Is it just you who, who listens to the music? Yes. Wow. So no I, way. I, no. I, I, I A&R every single record on the label. I listen to every demo submission. I upload every track to YouTube. I tag everything. I, Holy shit. I do the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Twitch. I do the live streams myself. I'm in the chat like all day. Like if we have like during Digital Mirage, it was three days long, 14 hours a day. I was in the chat for 14 hours. I don't oh know. my God. I am very hands on with my brand and I always will. Be. No shit. Jesus but Christ. Wow. I'm definitely not a one man show. Yeah. Um, our record label, there's about six people on there. Hmm. Um, I have an amazing label manager. Her name is Shannon. She's the neck of my brand and she is the most valuable person outside of myself for proximity overall. Like she is phenomenal. And then we have four other superstars on our label uh, or five other superstars on our label. And then we have a few other, a few other people that are helping us on the live stream side, a few other collaboration collaborators like mm-hmm. Brownies Unlimited and Keel. But sorry, going back to the question, the way to pitch to outside labels is one, making sure that you have the right music. So as an artist, a lot of times an artist will say, hey, you know, my song sounds exactly like Porter Robinson. Hey, my song sounds exactly like Skrillex. And then they'll submit to Ausla or they'll submit to, you know, whatever. And the point I'm trying to make is that they already have Skrillex. You know, they already have Porter Robinson. Right. The most important thing that you need to be aware of that you have is sound identity as an artist. You need to, this is the example that I referenced the most is this interview that Kashmir did. And he said, if you're playing your music out in public and nobody can, you know, put your name to it, you want people to listen to your song out in public and be like, oh, like that sounds like Kygo. Oh, that, that sounds like Avicii. If somebody can say that about you, about your song without knowing that it's you, that's how you know you have something incredible. That's how you know you have sound identity because they can go back and say, hey, that sounds like you. So I would say as an artist, before you pitch anything to anyone is make sure that you have something unique and you're, mm. not, you're not copying your influences too literally. It's okay to have influence and, and show that in your music, but just make sure that you, you have a different product because you know, anybody can, can deliver and replicate the same thing, but to innovate and make something new and something that someone's never heard before, that's the most important thing. And I think you'll find once you achieve that, you'll find that it won't be you pitching out to a bunch of labels. It'll be the labels fighting over you. So the scale will definitely tip. If you want a more direct answer is do your research on the labels, do your research on the A&Rs at those labels, you know, see who they sign, see the type of music that they release and release something within that line. Right. Like I'm not going to go to Fueled by Ramen, which is a rock label and send them one of our records. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, so if you're making like a melodic dubstep record, there's, you know, there's Ophelia Records, which is Seven Lions label. There's right. us. There's trap nation you know or if you want to get more into like the cool left of center experimental stuff there's there's Ausla, there's cannibalic records there's you know there's so many amazing outlets so just make sure you're not blanket pitching to to a bunch of people and make sure you do your research on on who you're reaching out to and make sure it's a personal email Love i think that. that goes a long way when you like you guys like you guys had an incredible personal email when you reached out to me <laughs> hey. and you guys did your research and i could tell them that you know, that made me feel really, really nice. So, um, 
that's my two cents on pitching. I appreciate that, dude. Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice. Um, and and we are so excited to be talking about this next section with you, dude. Because after hearing that you listen to all this music on your own, you must be a wealth of of knowledge about who is about to kill it in the underground scene, ladies and gentlemen. You know what we're about to do. Artists that we're watching every single episode, no matter who's on the show, we make sure everybody comes to the table with an underground artist to spotlight. So far, Alec, I mean, what? We must have spotlighted over 200 people now on this show, right? With, with yeah, the regular episodes yeah, and the special guests. Yeah, 200 ones. people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got another three to add on to the roster. Is it okay if I go first in the oh, artists that we're watching? Of course it is. Right. Of course please. it is. Let's go. Let's hear it. Who you got for us, baby? This guy, Matt Barry, based out of Los Angeles, dude. Let me just start by saying, there is nobody, nobody who exudes energy quite like this guy right here, Matt Barry, dude. I just watched him on the Abyss Festival live stream this past weekend. The dude absolutely murdered it. 30 minutes, just nonstop energy, good vibes, great tunes, great edits, great originals from beginning to end. The flow was there. The vibes were there and the energy was just nonstop. And I'm just so excited because I knew as soon as I heard this song, his most recent release, Into the Stars, I knew I had to feature him on the show and I knew I had to feature him on the 100th episode of the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please take a listen to Matt Berry's brand new track, Into the Stars. Hey, it's nice to meet you. I just crashed here all What is he doing? What, what's in his water recently? What has he been drinking to pump out shoots like this, man? Fuck me. This was amazing. Honestly, man, uh, I managed to catch a bit of his set at the Abyss Experience as well. And it's just, it's incredible just because, you know, he used to like email us back in the day, OG EDM champion out there listening. So a shout out to him and his dad, Darren as well, for plugging into the podcast and tapping into everything that we're doing. But just, you know, just seeing the progression from the sounds he was sending us before, which were already fantastic. But just to now, you just see the real, you know, cultivation of his own sound. Like Blake was just talking about it. You gotta have something, you you gotta have something that's like, all right, I can see it's a Matt Barry song. And he's starting to really get that now. It's really unbelievable to see that. So, you know, handing over to you, Blake, what did you think? Because I know he's going to be particularly excited to hear your feedback. Yeah, I actually was going to say the same thing. I think just going off what we just spoke about, I think sound editing is very, very important. And I think Matt has that. And it's an amazing foundation to have. And to be honest, I think this compilation, I remember seeing it before, I think... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Porter Porter shouted out this compilation. Yeah, yep. he did. And I remember reviewing a bunch of the tracks here. I did not go through all of them. I would have remembered Matt's. I think I probably listened to maybe six or seven of them. They were great. And mm. the compilation came out of nowhere. So I was super curious about how it came together. But 
Matt is a perfect example of an artist who has lower monthly listeners than he should. He should be having at least six figure monthly listeners. Hey, hey, hey there we go. I actually would love to reach out to him after this podcast and see what demos he has. I would be happy to send you his contact information because yeah. I know he'd be ecstatic to talk to you about this. So yeah, no, I, I, my heart is full. Look okay. at that. <laughs> wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Well, Dean, I, it's, it's unbelievable stuff, man. Shout out to Matt for this. But who's going to go next? Who wants to go next? I think Blake is ready to go. Blake, dude. I think you Blake's ready? got somebody for us. Let's, 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 let's hear it. it, man. Let's go. Let's do it. I got this artist, uh, Sinflex. He has this track called Terra, which is actually going to be on our gaming compilation. And he <laughs> has... He has roughly 3,000 monthly listeners, which is absolutely nothing. And I hope we can turn that around. So I hope you guys enjoy. Fire, fire track Oof. right here, man. You know, we, we were we were talking about this. We were like, you know, we're we're feeling very you know very dark bass. You know, mm. getting some getting a little bit of res, getting a little bit of death pack. But I think in the end, we're getting Sinflex, right? That's who we're getting. It's Sinflex right here, dude. And this is what's crazy, dude. How many drops are on this track? Four, <laughs> th- three, or four? That's what I love about it. It's not. It wasn't copy and pasted. Exactly. Was so, every drop was a breath of fresh air. I I felt excited throughout you know from start to finish um and the thing that really blew me away was his production the quality Mm. of his production i i don't know who he was before i'm curious if he had a different alias i actually don't know but his production is phenomenal and this was a demo submission so you could imagine my feeling when i heard this he was like a a diamond in the rough love that because that that percussion is hitting i mean that shit is so tight dude those kicks and those snares you already know alec what did you think about my man Sinflex over here? Unreal. I mean, you already know I'm a big fan of Death Pact and everything that kind of going on in that mid-tempo region there. But Sinflex coming out here and showing that there's more to be done with that sound, right? Like, not only four drops, but four fantastic high-quality drops that really emphasize different parts of the track, different elements from the beginning being mixed into different parts of the drops. That's what I love. It's got the cohesion, it's got the flow, and it's got the creativity and originality that just checks off every single checkbox that I would have when looking for an artist that we're watching. So, Blake, thank you so much for putting them on to our radar, Absolutely. all of our listeners' radars. Alex, oh, I'm ready. Could, you close it off in a big way. Who you got for us? Let's go, baby. Come oh, on. Oh, I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, EDM champions of the globe. I haven't really put out that many artists are watching in this kind of genre here, but because we've got our man Blake coming on from representing proximity, I think I have to. I want you all to close your eyes right now 
and imagine that you're in rainforest. Maybe the Amazon, right? You kind of you got your floaty on. Don't ask me how you got the floaty into the Amazon, but you got a floaty going down a river there. Ignore the piranhas that are below you. Just pretend like they're not there. You're just floating on down, just seeing the jungle. You're looking up and you see the tree canopies. You see the birds hopping about. You see some wild monkeys dangling from trees, jumping to the next. You've got the beautiful sounds of nature just surrounding you, all encompassing, making you feel like you are one with nature itself. Now, as you hear it building up in the background, I want you to imagine that setting, that beautiful scene, that vista that you have with the upcoming song. Ladies and gentlemen, EDM champions, welcome to the luscious landscapes of Carpo. Straight out from Hungary, my man has dropped this track called Amnicolis, and you're going to love it. Take a listen. A solid, solid, solid record. I was actually very impressed with both of both of the artists that you guys submitted. Like those are both solid records that I'd be very happy about stumbling, you know, in the proximity demo submission. Love that. I, I like that sound. It, it's uh, reminiscent of a few artists that we work with. The production value there is there. You guys are pretty good A and R's here. You guys had two solid records. So it's crazy, isn't it? Like when you see artists that are small, but yet I mean this guy or gal, I don't know if it's a guy or girl, I couldn't find out anything. It's quite mysterious, right? But uh he or she's only got two official releases to his or her name. And just the sound design on this and even like the mastering, I'm just like, wow, it just sounds crisp and beautiful. It's got some other remixes that I have to shout out. A fantastic remix of Seeing Color uh, by Hollow. And Hollow is actually quite uh, big there mm -hmm. as well with kind of like the rock emo style type of melodic dubstep. But I have to also give, you know, shout and credits to uh, an artist they're watching and the drop. He uh, was reposting Carpo's stuff and that's the only reason I stumbled across Carpo. So shout out to Amna Drop for just uh, doing some great things for the scene and reposting stuff. But don't you just love it, man, when like artists are reposting and holding up each other? Like it makes it so much, our job so much easier. Dude. But then it's just great for the scene. I was literally just about to say how wonderful that we live in a world where being able to share music with one another is just so easy and so, so painless, right? Like hit repost on SoundCloud and now Alec is over here spotlighting Carpo right here on the Beyond the Beats podcast, man. Look at what Blake's doing over there, dude freaking just uploading all this amazing amazing music that's being shared all around the world and that is the beauty of electronic dance music the fact that we can all share these amazing tunes and get different vibes different emotions out of it but in the end we're all connected by the same heartbeat and that's music dude and that's why we're here on this podcast today and that's why blake is doing what he's doing that's why we're doing what we're doing because we love this scene we love this music and that's what it's all about before we wrap up this episode, I want to give the floor to Blake. Blake, did you have any final concluding thoughts before we say goodbye to the EDM champions for episode 100? First of all, thank you guys for, for having me on your episode in general, as well as the 100th episode. I'm, I'm very honored. I'm very it's humbled. our pleasure. I, uh, 
how much you guys worked on on the podcast and how detailed and oriented the questions were to proximity and thank you for having this platform for EDM you know EDM is you know basically my life I love it as much as you guys do and I want to see the genre come back full force I guess the only other words words that I have is thank you to everyone listening who who has either stumbled upon cross uh, proximity for the first time as a result of the podcast and I hope you enjoy it and uh, most importantly, thank you all to the Proximity fans who are listening and who've sticked with me for X number of years. I appreciate you for letting me do what I do for a living, and I hope you're happy, and I hope I continue to make you happy with the releases and the YouTube uploads and you know the virtual festivals, the live festivals. To the producing community, I don't want you to be discouraged. There's so much more music coming out now than ever. Uh, be patient with yourself. Uh, understand that there's so many different variables that come to your success. And, and just because one person says no, does not mean that it, it, it's a no for everyone. So shoot your shot, you know, release your music on your own. Independent artists can thrive now more than ever. Um, you don't need a record label to be successful. You don't need an upload on proximity or any YouTube channel to be successful. You can do things on your own and uh, just be patient. And if, if you work hard enough, you will be successful. So just just stay persistent, and stay strong. That's that's my that's my words, dude. That is a perfect Amazing. way Beautiful. to cap off this episode. <laughs> EDM champions, thank you so much for being here for a hundred episodes. And guys, I just want to take a very quick minute to thank all of you, the EDM champions, for helping us to get to this point of a hundred episodes. Working on Beyond the Beats has been one of the most incredible experiences I have ever taken a part in. And this podcast and this show and all of you have seen me grow for the past nearly three years. And not only have you seen myself grow and Alec grow, but you've also seen the EDM champion and the show grow as well. What started off as a fun, quick little idea has quickly become such a major, major part of our lives. And none of this could have been possible without all of you. Thank you so much for the DMs, the emails, the comments, all the love that you guys send to us really goes a long way. And we cannot wait for you guys to hear what else is coming up on Beyond the Beast. The next journey to the next 100 episodes starts next week. We'll see you guys next week for episode 101. Stay locked in. And if you want to get connected with Proximity, we're going to have the links to their website, to their socials right in the show notes. So get tapped in because you got to keep an eye on what they're up to. Thank you again to Blake. And hopefully we get a chance to chat soon. Thank you guys.